Welcome into a special edition of The Left Turn, our special two-hour championship edition. Jacob Blair, Trevor Mater with you. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that the hosts of The Left Turn, their views and opinions are that of the host, does not reflect the Northwest Missouri State University or KZLX. Trevor, it's a good day. We've got a long show today. We've got a lot to talk about. It's a great day. I'm going to stay hydrated, keep my vocal cords fresh and ready to go. Two hours of nonstop nap. Well, there will be a little bit of stoppage, a couple breaks. you got to take some stage yeah, breaks. a couple, couple caution flags. Um, nonstop talk from now until 4 p.m. is the biggest race of the year, except for maybe the Daytona 500. I've always thought it's fitting that the season begins in Florida and it ends in Florida, and they go thousands of miles in the process, weaving their way across the country, and then it'll all come to a close this weekend at Homestead Miami Speedway. As it is really one of the the greater weeks of NASCAR racing, probably is, the best. You get it's not just for the Cup Series, but for all three series. You got all the media coverage that's going to happen this week, starting here today with us. Yeah, and we're pretty low on the totem pole. Um, I think that probably goes without saying, but this is the week that all NASCAR fans uh, get pretty jacked up about. This and the Daytona 500 are obviously, I think, the two biggest because. You start the season, and then you bookend the season, and we're going to crown three champions. Twelve guys have an opportunity to pick up a championship, and for many of them, it, it could be the start of their career, be what jumpstarts their career, and for some, it could mean that their careers come full circle. Well, and there's some legacies on the line as well. And what we'll start this week with is one of the, the Unfortunate things about having our show on Monday is it's great for reaction about what happens on Sunday, but sometimes some news comes out midweek that we can't cover. So we're going to start with our Phoenix talk with the penalties that came down on Kevin Harvick before we got to Phoenix that kind of set up all of the drama that occurred on Sunday, not to mention the penalties for Ryan Blaney and Eric Jones. But Kevin Harvick, the big, big one, was hit with an L1 penalty. I believe it was Wednesday that came out. Docked him 40 points, he lost his crew chief, and he was sitting only three points above the cut line, and that created this huge storyline heading into the weekend. Yeah, it was something tampered with inside of the spoiler that they didn't catch when they in the pre-race tech or in the post-race inspections, because basically what NASCAR does those is they put those to a template, and it, it fit the template. Well, also what NASCAR does is the top two finishers in each race, and I think one randomly chosen position, always go to the NASCAR R&D Center where they basically tear the car apart, find different things. Um, And when they actually took the spoiler apart and were able to examine inside of it, um, they were able to determine that there was something in that spoiler that gave that four car some type of competitive advantage that might have helped him pick up the win at Texas. So they put the hammer down. They gave him the most they could for an L1 penalty, which I think is four. I think it's anywhere between 20 and 40 points. And they put the hammer down. They said, okay, well, your win is encumbered, even though they don't call it encumbered anymore. And now you're only three points ahead of the cut line going into Phoenix on Sunday, which he was. And the one thing, and we're going to get into this a little bit here, is that the penalty itself is that NASCAR did everything they could rule book wise to Kevin Harvick. They suspended his crew chief for the rest of the season, which I thought was going to be a bigger issue than it looked to be on Sunday. I thought that was going to that was what was going to keep Kevin Harvick from making the championship four. 
didn't end up that way. But I thought losing crew chief Rodney Childers was going to be a much bigger impact. But Tony Gibson, that was about the best guy they could have called in to relieve Childers for these two races. But in general, and I think we've said this before, the last time one of these L1 penalties came down, is at some point, if you're going to deem that something has helped someone win a race or helped someone finish second, then at some point... The, the win itself and everything that goes along with it needs to be stripped from these drivers. And I think it was Dave Moody with, with MRN on one of the, the Fox Sports broadcasts was saying that, you know, that they need to do more. And he said about everything but disqualify them directly. He I, said remove 60 points. But to, to me, at some point, these drivers, if these teams are going to push the envelope this much where NASCAR is saying there's a performance advantage to what you did that's outside of the rules – they need to start doing what what most series and most places do, and that's no points, no pay. You weren't here. And I've said that we had this conversation pretty in-depth last week that, in my opinion, the best way to make these teams accountable is to start disqualifying people. And I say go down to, like you said, no points, no money, nothing. It's as if you were never here. And I think where that will eventually benefit is, for one, it'll make teams more be accountable because it'll be – you know, they're still paying to be at the track. They're still spending a ridiculous amount of money, and they're getting nothing to show for it. These teams and their engineers and stuff are going to start saying, okay, guys, we got to do things by the book because we can't afford to, to not do things by the book. And it could end up potentially killing a small team. If you're a team like, say, just for example, Go Fast Racing, or I don't even know if that's what it's called anymore, but uh, one of those teams, and you get caught with something like that, that could really set you back. And I think NASCAR has just got to put the hammer down with it. If they're going to issue these penalties and they're going to say, well, we think this gave you – this is why you won the race, quit with the crap of, well, we're taking away the win, but we're not actually taking away the win or the money or the – we're taking away some of the points, but we're not taking away – no, if, it, if the car is illegal, then it's illegal. It's – they're disqualified. And two other things with this argument is the way that the penalties work is technically Harvick got all 60 points from the race. They didn't remove any. They didn't say, okay, you're, you're losing your, your points you won from your win. They just took 40 points away with the penalty that wasn't necessarily associated with the finish of the race. And if the, the, the argument there is, well, we don't want to go back. To me, Harvick was illegal. So then... You go to second place. Well, Ryan Blaney was illegal as well. They they hit him with an L1 penalty. So then you go to third. Joey Logano won Texas, in my opinion. That, exactly, yeah. that is who is your winner. And then Eric Jones was penalized as well. So Kyle Larson, who finished fifth, should be your second place finisher. And then what you do with those other three is you move them to the back of all three stages and you redo the points for stage one, for stage two, and the end of the race based on taking those guys out of the equation. And, and that's the way you're going to have to get these guys accountable. Yeah, and I, I know last week I went back when I had more free time and, and did that, and I don't have it in front of me now, unfortunately, but that would have totally mixed things up, too, because you would have taken away all the stage points to Kevin Harvick. You would have taken away, obviously, the win, and it would have put himself in a – I still – I had a double check. I'm still not sure he would have made it with his finish yesterday. But uh, I, I've just never been a fan of the whole taking away the win but not really taking away the win thing because 10 years from now when someone asks who won the fall race – at Texas in 2018, the answer is still going to be Kevin Harvick. It's not going to be well, but his car was illegal, so they took away. The, no one will, no one will 
remember that. It'll be Kevin Harvick one, even though he did with an illegal race car. So I, there's got to be something done on NASCAR's end. Um, I, I think you start disqualifying people, and you make it makes teams more accountable. But that's just me. If, it, if it's an argument money-wise that these teams are spending so much money, you don't want to take away their pay, at least give them last pay, place points, last place pay, move them to that portion. Give them no points. Of, no, no, no points, points. And, and give them last place pay, something like that. But but just two things that, that I look at is we're going to talk about this race in a, you know, a couple weeks, but the Snowball Derby is one of the biggest short track late model races in, in the country where some NASCAR drivers have run it. Kyle Busch has won it. Guys like that come and, and race it. And two different times, drivers have been stripped of their win in post-race technical inspection that currently race in NASCAR. Chase Elliott was one of them. He lost the Snowball Derby because to, to get to the weight limit, he had tungsten on his car instead of just lead, which is what he's supposed to have. There's no performance advantage in that whatsoever. He just, it was in the rule book. He broke the rule, so he lost the Snowball Derby, and it was as if he was never there that weekend. Christopher Bell, the same thing with him. He wins a race. He rolls around uh, on a you know Kowicki-type race-winning lap to, to celebrate and got a, a bunch of tire pickup on his left side tires, rolled across the scales, and barely failed left side weight, had just a, a, about a tenth of a percentage too high on that left side weight, and he lost the Snowball Derby that way, and it went to the second-place driver. He got the trophy. He's on the name when we go there again in, to Pensacola in, in a couple weeks for that race. Those are NASCAR drivers that have had wins pulled away from them at lower levels of racing, and yet NASCAR is giving the wins to guys when they're illegal. And you and I have, have both worked it at even area short tracks, let's say, and if a guy's illegal, he's disqualified. I mean, there's I, I've seen guys disqualified for scented fuel, um, you know, their compression and their motors being just one one tenth too high. I've seen people disqualified for uh, cutting brake lines that that were supposed to be there that they felt that officials felt gave them an unca- unfair competitive advantage. The bottom line is, if you're illegal, you're illegal, then you, you're disqualified. I mean, it, it should it's a it should be a pass fail basis. Really, we can argue about the tech itself till we're blue in the face. Um, I know that's kind of been a lot of the backlash from a lot of Harvick fans is that they question how it could have passed the pre race inspection, post race tech. And then on Wednesday, but like I just like I described early on, uh, they were able to look at it further in the R&D than they did before. And real quick to that point, and then we'll move on to what actually happened this weekend at Phoenix. Stuff actually happened? Stuff actually happened. Is huh. In all forms of racing, what is done in, in pre-technical inspection is by no means what is done in post-race no. technical inspection. It, you, you check things in, in pre-race to make sure... That you the stuff you can just see. They don't dive into anything. They just in a NASCAR. They'll put them up to the laser system. They'll they'll put the templates on it. They'll check it, and if it passes that, you race. And then you check stuff. And that's how it works in all forms of racing. You roll through pre-race technical inspection, and they're not going to check everything because they want you to be legal. And they're going to check more stuff in depth. If they went through and checked everybody. 100% in pre-tech, yeah. we would never have a race on the weekend. Well, and That's, I think that's it was, why it takes to Wednesday. I think it was Bob Pockris of ESPN. He kind of does a Q&A thing every, every day where people on Twitter will ask him questions, and then he'll respond to them. And someone asked, you know, well, how come this wasn't something that was caught before the race? And he basically said NASCAR doesn't have time to take every single spoiler apart before a race. 
and look at it. I mean, it, it, we would, like you said, we would never get any racing. Or, or have everyone show up on a Monday yeah. to the racetrack for a Sunday race. That, that's how you would do what they're doing in the R&D Center. It takes to Wednesday to do this, the three cars. They don't have time to do it to all 40. But now we'll get to the actual race at Phoenix. And quietly, it was really one of the most competitive, better races we've seen all season just from a race run standpoint. But then you throw in the drama of the playoffs, and this race was wild. Anybody that ever whines about the playoff format, I will show them yesterday's race. It was from the time the green flag dropped until the time the checkered flag dropped. It was, and Phoenix has been like this the last couple of years. I mean, it's it's not like it's something that just happened the yesterday, but it, it was. There was so much drama all over the place. Um, the battles for the lead. You throw in the new configuration of the track or layout, I guess I should say. Um, and the battles for that final championship four spot. I have not been. I, I said I was. I said at the Roval, I hadn't been more entertained by a race in a long time. Yesterday might have taken the cake for that. And it all started on I believe lap seventy-two is when really the drama started. As early on, it was Kevin Harvick who got the pole, who started dominating the race. The only guy that seemed to have any speed to match the four car was the nine of Chase Elliott. And then lap 72 hit, and that's really where you can say this race started. Kevin Harvick gets a flat tire on his car just about a couple laps from the stage break, and that's really what ended up saving Kevin Harvick from going two laps down was the stage caution came out. Chase Elliott ended up with the stage win, but now you're sitting here, Carl Harvick, only three points above the cut line. Chase Elliott gets 10 points. Kurt Busch gets some point as well. After stage one, Kevin Harvick started three points above the cut line. After stage one, was outside of making the championship four. Well, and what helped Kevin Harvick, I think, did he go two laps down, and then he got... He, he got he, one of them back on the wave around. He only got he only went one lap down and then was going to take the wave around, but because he had a penalty for pitting when the pits were closed because the pits closed with two laps to go in a stage he was not allowed to take the wave around because he had to restart at the tail of the field he was one and then not but 30 laps later another caution comes out he gets the free pass and is able to get back on the lead lap yeah it was i was kind of flipping i had i was watching the chiefs game on tv and i was watching the race on my ipad it's the way to do it yeah and i was Kind of paying attention to the race, kind of paying attention to the Chiefs game, and I happened to look down, and I saw Kevin Harvick in the wall. So I rewound it on my iPad and watched it, and I at first I thought, he's gone. Um, a lot of times when a guy hits the wall like that at a track like Phoenix, normally that creates a lot of problems. I know they mentioned the splitter a lot of times throughout the race, that uh, if you got on a long run, maybe that could be something that internally could, could be problematic for that team. But it ended up not being too problematic, but uh, it, it, for a while, it looked like Kevin Harvick was in deep trouble yesterday. And, and then we get to stage two, where Chase, Chase Elliott at that point and Kurt Busch had the two fastest cars. The two fastest cars, and at many points in the race, Kevin Harvick's not going to make it because any time one of those two had the lead and the uh, points would update... One of those were in. Kevin Harvick was sitting a long way out, and Martin Truex Jr. was also sitting there a little bit worried like 12, at the cut line. Plus 12, something like that. That if something would happen to him, he would struggle. And then in two different instances, Kurt Busch, he on a... Kyle Busch won stage two, but Kurt Busch ended up with a penalty where he had the lead. He was coming to pit road, and 
accelerated past the pace car before he got to the commitment line. That is a black and white rule in the NASCAR rule book. You cannot do that. That is an unfair advantage. Kurt Busch was hit with a lap penalty and then spent a long time trying to get that lap back. At that point, it really looked like Chase Elliott was going to knock Kevin Harvick out of the playoffs. Yeah, Chase Elliott was passing cars left and right, got up to, to first and looked like he had the car to, to win the race, and he always runs really well at Phoenix. And then the bad luck bug hit him as well. He ends up with a pit road penalty, so now you have both Kurt Busch and Chase Elliott trying to, to fly back through the field. Then you end up with... You, there were, it was, they kept going on like 20 or so lap runs where then a caution would come out and reset everything. And with about 40 to go, one came out and Kurt Busch said, you know what, I'm going to try to win this race. I'm going to stay out. And a lot of other guys came down pit road. Kevin Harvick was one of those that stayed out as well, I believe. And it really shuffled everything. Some guys took two tires. But then you, you had this this group of drivers up front on old tires Guys in the middle with two, guys out back with four, and on a restart, it was Eric Jones got loose under Kurt Busch. That opened up the door for Denny Hamlin. Hamlin took it, Hamlin got loose, and then the the biggest wreck of the day unfortunately occurred and took out both Kurt Busch and Chase Elliott. Yeah, and uh, I'm with you. I think one of those two guys would have ended up winning the race, and as soon as I saw Kurt Busch get up in the wall, I thought, oh, no, there there goes his chances. Then he goes up in the wall. He comes back down. That was one where he just made and, sure Hamlin wasn't going to get away unscathed with and that. And Chase Elliott was just kind of, he was in the wrong place at the absolute wrong time. Totally destroyed the side of Chase Elliott's car. Um, and forfeited any chance he had of being able to, to win and advance on. And looking at this race, we thought coming in, you know, Logano was locked in. Kyle Busch was in a pretty safe spot. So I thought six guys jockeying for two positions between Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Eric Almirola, Chase Elliott, Kurt Busch, and Clint Boyer. The only two guys that didn't have anything go wrong that day yesterday were Eric Almirola and Martin Truex Jr. And that's where after the, the incident that occurred with Busch and Hamlin, the drama didn't stop there because now all of a sudden Eric Almirola is sitting in a really good position to try to win the race. Late race restart, he starts third, and it looked like he was almost to the back bumper of Kyle Busch who was leading at that point. I thought he would get into him and try to rough him up a little bit. He waited, and then another caution and he, came out, and he got to start on the outside, and it looked like really Eric Almirola was just trying a little bit too hard, and it, it ended up hurting him, hurt his tires a little bit. But there for a while with the last couple laps, you thought Eric Almirola might be the one to knock Kevin Harvick out of the race. And that was some of the, the most exciting waning laps I've seen in a while as far as it's hard not to root for Eric Almirola. I know he was our baby of the week last week, but it's still hard not to root for him. And I was thinking, man, I would really love to see him bump Harvick out, and I thought he was going to do it. And like you said, he just overdrove it. And what I thought was interesting, I know you and I were texting back and forth throughout the day about this, is if you're Kyle Busch on that final restart with, was it 12 to go, something like that? How tempting is it? You've got Eric Almirola on your outside. You've got Kevin Harvick right behind you. It's no secret those two guys don't really like each other, Bush and Harvick. And Harvick is a legitimate threat. Not that Eric Almirola wouldn't have been, but Harvick's a really legitimate threat to, to win the championship on Sunday. How tempting is it to maybe not race that 10 car as hard and let Almirola go by knowing that if he wins, it knocks either the 4 or the 78 out of the playoffs? This might be an unpopular opinion, but if I was behind the wheel of that 18 car, I'd make a business decision 
that a championship is, is better than a win, and I'd let that 10 car roll on by on the restart and stick right with him and, and try to keep Harvick from getting to the back bumper of the 10, which we saw Harvick had, had have issues late, and try to let that 10 car, you know, you don't want to let guys win races, but if it's going to come to a championship, it's, it's a thought and something I think I would have thought about a little bit more than Kyle Busch. We know how much Kyle Busch hates to lose, so I don't think that went through his mind really at all. But if it, it was me, I would have looked at it and said, okay, I can race against the four car at Miami next week, or I can race against the 10 car. Not that Eric, I mean, Eric Almirola's ran pretty well at Homestead in years past, but Kevin Harvick's ran even, even better. Homestead is Harvick's best statistical racetrack. He's averaging a 6.8 average finish at Homestead in his career. That's the best average finish of all the NASCAR tracks. That right there tells me the 18 might have wanted to think a little bit harder about maybe letting Eric Amarola have a, a chance to win the race. Maybe not outright just letting him buy, but, but letting him stay a little bit closer and see if he could do something with it. Yeah, and like we said, Kevin Harvick, or Kyle Busch, rather, is such a competitor that he wasn't going to let that happen. I think we both knew he wasn't going to let that happen, but they mentioned on the it's broadcast. It's a lot easier to say that sitting right here than when you're in the seat under the helmet trying to win a race for your team. And they even meant, I think it was Steve Letarte. Um I feel like I quote Steve Letarte at least once a week on this show. Maybe we'll have to make that a segment next year. But he, he even pointed out, you know, if you're Kyle Busch, how willing are you to just let this 10 car go by like you said easier said than done um it doesn't really matter because i didn't even care that kyle bush won the race like sometimes when kyle bush wins the race i get frustrated because i'm like man like kyle won that really didn't get that after after yesterday i sat down i was like that was a really entertaining race and i hope we get the same thing this next week yeah so kyle bush ended up with the win he led 117 laps during the race and locked his way into the championship for brad keselowski a non-playoff driver finished second. And this is the interesting thing, is only three of the eight playoff drivers finished inside the top ten. So Kyle Larson finished third. Eric Amarola finished fourth. Kevin Harvick fifth. Jamie McMurray with a good run for sixth. Matt Kenseth in the sixth car. He finished in the seventh position and more than likely his that, last that was his last career race. So we say farewell to Matt Kenseth. A good solid run for him to end his career. Austin Dillon finished eighth. William Byron with a good run, and he locked up rookie of the year in that 24 car. He finished ninth. Bubba Wallace rounded out the top ten. Martin Truex Jr., he finished 14th and locked his way into the championship four. Chase Elliott finished 23rd. Kurt Busch, 32nd. Clint Boyer finished 35th. And then Joey Logano was 37th, and he already was locked in to the championship before. Martin Truex Jr. had a really interesting strategy. Towards the end of the race, after Kurt, after Kurt Busch and Chase Elliott ended up in their accidents that ended their chances, his crew, they, they were able they calculated, okay, we got to finish 24th or better, and we're in no matter what happens. So his crew decided, let's pit. We'll drop back. I think they restarted that final restart at, at 16th, I think, and they said... Let's just stay back here. We don't want to get caught up in somebody else's mess. And let's just drive around and, and take our points. We're in as long as nothing crazy happens. And uh, it, it paid off for him. Uh, he's going to Homestead. And when we look at more in depth of Martin Truex later, is he pretty much rode his playoff points all the way to the championship four. Yeah. He didn't. Each round, people scored more points than him. People had better opportunities, and if you look at it, it without the playoff points, we would not see Martin Truex Jr. in the championship four. No, I think that's 
pretty much a, a pretty safe bet that he wouldn't have been. And I think, really, you could have made the same argument with, obviously, Kevin Harvick now, given that that win was taken away. You take out the playoff points, Kevin Harvick's not in. I mean, guys like Chase Elliott ran really well in the playoffs. Eric Almirola had good runs, but they're not, they're not on to Miami. So it was the cup race at ISM, also known as Phoenix. It's Phoenix. And we will take a quick break here on the left turn when we get back. We'll discuss the Xfinity race and talk about who made their championship four over the weekend. Welcome back to the left turn. Jacob Blair, Trevor Mater with you as we are about 30 minutes into our two-hour championship special. Now we will talk about the Xfinity race from Phoenix and who made the championship four. And this one was all about the, the driver the 20 car, who's got a, a pretty good clutch gene in him, is Christopher Bell was in a must-win situation, and he got the job done. I think we should go to Vegas, because um, we said last Monday that someone who had to win to get into the championship four would win. You said Christopher Bell. I think I said Justin Allgaier, um, and you ended up being spot on. Well, there, there was another part to that prediction, is one or the other wouldn't get in. If one got in, the other one wouldn't. That happened as well as if Christopher Bell is the big storyline, Justin Allgaier is equally as big as the storyline. A lot of wins, a great season from him, just a bad round of eight, and Allgaier again with issues and will not be in the championship four. Yeah, and man, there was a time in August where he was he was a clear-cut favorite, and it's just crazy. Every year, someone in one of the series ends up in that situation where you know I think last year it was Kyle Larson that you looked at and thought maybe he was the favorite. Uh, William Byron a couple years ago in the truck series as well kind of ran into that. And Justin Allgaier just, his, they they choked. There's another way to put it. When you're talking playoffs, they, they choked in the playoffs. And, and he was running well. He ended up leading some of the, the race. And more than that, he won stage one, won stage two, led 69 laps during the course of the race, and then just got in an incident uh, where uh, I think it was – Tyler Reddick got into John Hunter Nemechek. John Hunter Nemechek spun and was coming off of turn four, the old turn two, and Allgaier ended up making some contact. And then later in the race, I think his his brakes, something happened with his brakes where he lost all his brake fluid and then his brakes were on fire for a while and then finished the race without any brakes. So did a fantastic job keeping control of that car, but you could tell he could not charge the corner at all without any brakes and ends up, just with a 24th place run and even though he did pick up 20 total stage points it wasn't enough to overcome uh, the two poor races and the, the races before this one yeah whereas we talked about you know martin Truex jr rode on his stage points into the, the championship four justin allgaier couldn't do that he had a lot of playoff points to to work with i did think did he have one win taken away i think earlier this year i think he did might have been, I think it was Phoenix, maybe. It was the I don't first which, one. Which one? But he had one of them taken away, and that five points could have maybe helped him a little bit, but just not not the playoffs that Justin Allgaier was hoping for. I think he might have actually been your championship pick going into the start of the playoffs. I think the start of the year, I, I picked Christopher Bell, but at the start of the championship, I, I went ahead and, and changed that to Justin Allgaier when we updated well, those picks based on the season. Now you got to change again. Yeah as we will make our final four predictions here later in the second hour of our left turn championship special. But Christopher Bell 
with a, a very clutch race from him to end up with the win, worked himself into the championship four. And unfortunately for uh, one driver in particular, that means that he will not make the championship four. And it wasn't Justin Allgaier that was necessarily knocked out, but it was the one of Elliot Sadler, who's been the, the model of consistency throughout this season, but just couldn't put together a good enough run. He finished 11th, but we won't see the one of Elliot Sadler in the championship four either. Yeah, Sadler hadn't won a race all year, um, and it's been announced that 2018 is his last year running full-time. He hasn't officially announced that he's retiring, but he is going to cut back a lot. And you thought, what a story it would be for Elliot Sadler to be able to get to Miami with a chance to win the championship when he's came really close the last couple of years and just things haven't gone his way. But unfortunately, Christopher Bell's win ends up knocking him out as Tyler Reddick was able to hold off Sadler for that final point spot. So it would be Tyler Reddick, one of those, and Christopher Bell was also one of those drivers that will make the championship for Cole Custer. He finished eighth in this one, but did not have to worry as he was your winner from Texas. So he locked himself into the championship four. And then Daniel Hemrick, with yet another second-place finish. Will nine, I think, now? Something. It's it's just getting to the point where, although this one hurts a lot less, because I don't, even in his interviews, like, we didn't have anything for the 20. We were the second-place car today. Christopher Bell was the best. But at some point, you got to wonder, when is my break coming? But Daniel Hemrick, if you if he keeps doing and having these runs, if he has another one like this at Homestead, at some point, if he doesn't outright win one, he's going to walk into a win, and that could be coming at any point. We, we've said that with Kyle Larson. We've said that with Chase Elliott. Now we're saying it with Daniel Hemrick in the Xfinity Series. He is as close as you can be to a win without getting one, and he looks really fast right now, although I wouldn't. He might be the the third favorite as Christopher Bell and Cole Custer might be the two you're looking at for Homestead. So right now, Daniel Hemrick in his career, five second-place finishes, 22 top fives, 38 top tens, and he has led a lot of laps. He's led 510 laps but never led the most important one. So he's got one more shot to do it in the Xfinity Series because he'll move up to the Cup Series next year replacing Ryan Newman in that RCR car. I'm guessing it'll be the number 31. I think there's still some dispute about what that car number could be, but he's got one more race to, to get that Xfinity Series win, and it'd be a big one. Yeah, so in the ISM Phoenix race, Christopher Bell, he led 94 laps, ended up with a win. Hemrick finished second. Matt Tift had a really good run in the two-car to finish third. That was not enough to advance him to the round of eight as he was the other one of the other drivers eliminated. Austin Sendrick finished fourth. Finished fourth. The same thing for him. Was in the playoffs but was eliminated. Ryan Priest with a good run to finish fifth. Tyler Reddick finished sixth. He'll be in the championship four. Brandon Jones finished seventh. Cole Custer eighth. John Hunter Nemechek ninth. Spencer Gallagher rounded out your top 10. Yeah, um, Matt Tift, we didn't think he had a championship car to begin with this this playoff. Um, did show some speed as of late, had good runs at Kansas, had good runs at Phoenix, but couldn't get done. Austin Sindrick, back-to-back top four finishes, finishing third at Texas, and then he finished fourth this week at Phoenix. Um, something to look forward to is it's been announced, we'll get more into it later, that he'll be full-time at Penske next year, maybe give him some momentum going into Phoenix, or into 2019. So that is the Xfinity Series from Phoenix as they are now set for their championship race at Homestead. We'll take another quick break here on the left turn. When we get back, we'll move to the trucks and let you know who made their championship four. Welcome back to the left turn. Jacob Blair, Trevor Mater with you as we now look to the truck series as they 
had their last round in the round of six, and they locked in their championship four. And it was not a lot of not not a whole lot of drama with the truck series race. Although uh, one of our other predictions we made over the weekend is at some point this over the weekend we'd see someone on a late race restart basically hang a left and go after everything to try to win a race. We nailed that, didn't we? We saw that in the truck series race. Yeah, um, like you said, we had pretty much said someone was going to give that the good old college try at some point. I thought maybe it would be Kyle Larson on Sunday, but Brett Moffitt said, huh, we got a lot, of, a lot of space down here, why don't, I, why don't I use it? Had a restart with, I believe, about four to go, and on the restart got a good one and hung a left through the dog leg and then didn't really ever come back onto the racetrack. He just stayed down on the bottom uh, through three and four, about two or three car lengths under the, the actual racetrack and powered up his his rear tires and drove away and ended up winning the race and then in doing so, locking himself into the championship four, led 19 laps in the event. He won stage one, uh, but he, he, had a, he had about a top five truck all night long. It was really Noah Gragson. No, Gregson that, that had the dominant truck who ended up finishing second, but Brett Moffat just took advantage of a late race restart, and we've seen him do that a lot this year. Yeah, we've. I don't think that Brett Moffat's won a race this year where you looked at it and said, huh, Brett Moffat has the best truck today. I think the two or three races he had that he, he did not end up winning those races. You know, because he won in Atlanta. That was kind of some other people's misfortunes in that race. So Kyle Busch lost a wheel, if I remember correctly. Um, he won it at Chicago when John Hunter Nemechek ran out of fuel on the last lap. He won at Iowa when Noah Gregson decided to make a video game move that didn't work. He also had a drag race with Johnny Sauter. I want to say it was Michigan where he was able to edge Sauter out the line. And, and in this one, he was able to take advantage on the last couple laps. He has shown also that he has been clutched this year. He's been kind of sneaky in the playoffs. Hasn't really done – it's not that he hasn't been running good – he just hasn't stuck out to you, and he was he was in a good spot coming into Friday night to get in regardless of what happened, but uh, he took care of his own business and punched his ticket to Miami with the win. It was Noah Gregson who had that race really won late and ended up with a, a little bit of a, a situation where him and Grant Enfinger, his Enfinger, Grant Enfinger, was really the only drama playoff-wise was he had a, an opportunity to win the race late, was doing everything he could to win the race, a little bit of contact with Noah Gregson. Noah not upset about that at all. He, he knew what was going on. So Noah ended up finishing second, but in doing so, Grant Enfinger finished fourth. Enfinger will not move on to the championship four. Noah Gregson will. Yeah, and you mentioned this the other night. Four Thor Sport, three Thor Sport trucks made the playoffs out of just eight teams. So you're talking Matt Crafton, Grant Enfinger, and Ben Rhodes. None of them made it to the championship four. Did not expect that. As that really would be the disappointment of the season for Thor Sport is, is you had a good opportunity. You, you had a, a high percentage. And really the speed in, or at least I thought, with Ben Rhodes and Enfinger showed the consistency to make the championship four. I think both of us really didn't think Matt Crafton had a, a real opportunity this season as he hasn't shown the speed as he was the other driver knocked out of the championship four. The other two that will be racing for a championship, Johnny Sauter, he will be in the championship four as well as Justin Haley. Haley finished 28th after he uh, ended up with an engine issue. And then Johnny Sauter in, in a concerning type way was not very quick at phoenix at all 
It's not going to take a whole lot of momentum into Homestead. Yeah, but that that's also a track that he does run really well at. So I think they're still probably pretty confident going forward into Homestead. But when you look at it between, I know we'll get more of this later, but, but with Moffitt, Haley, Gregson, and Sauter, I don't know if there's a clear-cut favorite going into that. So it'll be tons of fun. Uh, the Truck Series, the last two years, they've had the championship format. Um, last year we saw that Chris Bell was able to, to get the championship when Chase Briscoe won the race, and then two years ago William Byron won the race, but Johnny Sauter won the championship. So we've seen the last couple of years the guy that wins the race isn't one of the championship four, and who knows if that will happen again. And another thing that ends up happening with the truck series late is you see a lot of drivers hop into trucks for the first or second time as they get in preparation for next year to, to try to get some seat time. And three names that really stuck out with, with this race were three young drivers. Uh, Tyler Ankrum in the 17 truck, he finished sixth. Derek Krause in the 19 truck, he finished eighth. And then Christian Eckes in the 46 truck, he finished ninth. Those are three drivers that I think we'll hear a lot from next season, but some impressive runs from some, some young drivers getting some seat time this weekend. Yeah, and you say young. These drivers are definitely young. Tyler Ankrum, 17 years old. Derek Krause, also 17 years old. Um, and, and Christian Eckes, a very old, 18 years old. He actually just turned, yeah, he just turned 18 on Saturday. So he, a lot of youngsters that we're going to hear a lot of their names in the future. Derek Cross is one that I was pretty impressed with. And for all of them to be able to take, take home top tens on a track that was kind of challenging with the new layout, uh, that kind of just speaks volumes. Well, and with Derek Kraus, I think he had a top five run going and then just got caught in a bad situation on a late race restart, got pushed up into the gray and had to hang on to his truck. And that's, I think, why he finished in that eighth position. So a solid run from him. But again, Brett Moffitt ended up with the win to lock himself into the championship four. Noah Gregson finished second. He locks himself into Homestead as well. Harrison Burton with a solid run in the 51 truck finished third. Grant Enfinger finished fourth. Stuart Friesen, he finished in the fifth position. Tyler Ankrum, sixth. Johnny Sauter finished seventh. Derek Krause finished 8th, Christian Eckes ninth, Sheldon Creed finished 10th, and then your other playoff drivers, Matt Crafton, finished in the 11th position. And again, Justin Haley finished 28th with those engine issues. Yeah, it's going to be interesting going into Miami. I'm, I'm really stoked for it. So that's the Truck Series from ISM, also known as Phoenix. As, Phoenix. Yeah, you just you got you to gotta give it its, its official name and then clarify where we're actually at. Is, is the, the new track, I, I think... The changes they made it made it the the way the race was run. It didn't really change long runs or anything, but it made restarts a lot more interesting uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think it's something we'll see guys get more accustomed to. Um, give it a couple more races, but I I thought it was I would say a success. I don't see anything that that would make me say it's a failure. Um, yeah. So I'd give it a success in my book. And we will talk a little bit more of that after another quick break. Also, when we get back, we will award this week's Left Turn Baby of the Week. Welcome back to the Left Turn. Jacob Blair, Trevor Mater with you. As now it is time to award the Left Turn's Baby of the Week. The Martinsville Baby went to Martin Truex Jr. The Texas Baby went to Eric Almarola. The Poster Baby is Kyle Busch. But Trevor, who is this week's Baby of the Week? So this week there's a tie. Um, we right. We determined yes, this. Uh, we, we've got two. We've got two. I'm gonna say your for, first a repeat baby of the week, and this was a pretty mellow week actually. So we're kind of just nitpicking here. 
goes to one Martin Truex Jr. for, according to NBC, and I, NBC, I think it was Parker Kligerman that might have been the report. I can't remember which one it was, but according to whoever the paper reporter is, it was assigned to Martin Truex Jr., saying that Truex had been talking to his team during the race about guys racing him too hard. Okay, it's a race. These guys, I know you're racing for a championship spot, but it's not like anyone was wrecking you. I can't think of who in particular he was talking about. I want to say it was like Alex Bowman. But it's a race. They're supposed to race you hard. There there are also some times where if, you know, we're kind of, we really thought Kurt Busch was going to be the, the odds-on favorite for I Baby of the Week for this week. I sure when Kurt Busch got taken out, when him and Denny Hamlin got together and Kurt Busch ends the race in the infield care center, I was 110% convinced that Kurt Busch was going to be our Baby of the Week. I was at, And he handled the interview much better than I've ever seen. the best interview Kurt yes, Busch has ever given? Not even close. As far as like the way he handled it, it's not the best in terms of content, but the way he handled it, Kurt Busch seven, eight years ago would have. When that happened, I thought we were, for the first time, and I think this season, going to have an on-track altercation or a pit lane inter- altercation at some point between Bush and his crew and Hamlin and his crew after what happened. And Kurt Busch, he was the bigger man in that situation, and uh, we will not be awarding Baby of the Week to Kurt Busch, but it really... The uh, the other he thing would have you got could it say, at Talladega, though, right? Yes. Okay. The, the the other driver you you could look at possibly giving it to, or not driver, but anyone racing Ryan Newman could have been given it this week because there was a lot of comments being made uh, through pit reporters about drivers not happy with the way Ryan Newman was racing them, but it's Ryan Newman and he is known in the garage as being one of the hardest drivers to pass, and he did not cut any of the playoff drivers any slack all race long. My favorite Ryan Newman memory ever goes back to phoenix was it four it was first year of the playoffs when ryan newman of all people was in the the round of eight hadn't won a race you kind of forgot that ryan newman was even a thing and he was in a situation where he was one point back from i think it was jeff gordon going into the final lap and him and kyle larson were battling for like sixth or seventh and ryan newman didn't even bother to lift to take out to hit kyle larson i mean he Put Kyle Larson in the wall, took the spot, and went on to Miami and darn near won the championship. But that's just Ryan Newman. Now, NBC has made it a point the last couple of weeks of mentioning how hard it is to pass Ryan Ryan Newman, and I've, I've seen it's true. The only problem is, is most of the time when you're trying to pass Ryan Newman, you're trying to pass Ryan Newman for like 13th or 14th, so it's kind of a, a moot point. But I don't know. I, I, this week's Baby of the Week was a little tough. It, it, to me, I think the award... For, for true baby of the week, we're going to go a little bit different, but it's going to be social media haters. Is you really couldn't get on, on social media and go to a NASCAR post without seeing someone complaining about something about the race. And I just want to sit here and say NASCAR has hit this playoff format perfectly. This is the, the best way to do this. You want to look at the race we had it, it, this weekend versus a race we would have had without this playoff situation we wouldn't have had the drama. We wouldn't. You would have been, you know, wanting to, to take a nap around lap two hundred. It wouldn't have been what we we've seen. This this playoff format is working, and there's just too much you know, on social media. You can't roll through a comment section, or you can't really you can go through anything without a bunch of people complaining about something to do with this format. 
this is this is a perfect format, and and when I say perfect, I mean I don't want them to change this playoff format in any way moving forward. I think it's great for the sport. It it creates drama, but it awards people through the regular season, which is the the way it should be. It, it's just it, it works great, and we saw that this weekend at Phoenix. When this format first came out, I'm not gonna lie, I was, and we're talking four years ago. So as immature as I am now. Four years ago was way worse. Um, I was skeptical of it. I was I was very skeptical of it, and I didn't know what to think of it. But I was like, I'm gonna let things. I'm gonna I'm gonna let things play out before I make a, a rash opinion on it. And after one season of it, I was like, this is really good. And then we've had much more excitement, much more excitement, much more excitement. To where I'm like, not only is this really good, this is great they've hit it out of the park my only wish is that they would have done this 10 years earlier is i think it would have changed a lot of different things but the other cool thing that i like going on right now is with nascar and nbc anytime you're watching a sunday night football game the they, they've got al michaels and he will promo the nascar race and we've seen this with there's this cross promotion working where we know sunday night football is one of the most watched television programs during the course of a, of a of a year on TV period and to have NBC willing to you know it's real quick it's not they don't spend a lot of time on it but for you know anywhere between we've seen them for 15 seconds up to a minute and a half talk about the NASCAR season i think that's going to help this race sunday this upcoming race sunday as well as is having this cross promotion between the NFL broadcast on NBC as well as NASCAR well, and we saw a couple of weeks ago um, firsthand, you and I were down at the Kansas Speedway. Coincidentally, the, the Chiefs had a Sunday night game the, the same night. The amount of publicity that, that that received just by it coinciding with the Chiefs game. You know, Clint Boyer was in attendance, so NBC had to point that out. Dale Jr. was in attendance. NBC had to point that out. Um, they, they referenced the race. I was listening to a Chiefs pregame radio show on my way home, and they referenced that there was a lot going on in the Kansas City area and the NASCAR race very briefly. But uh, good public- this has created good publicity. It's created good racing. You think of the, ra- the races we have had in the playoffs. You had Las Vegas, where every single driver, it seemed like, had some adversity. You had the Roval, which was just bananas. You had Talladega, where it ended up getting a lot more exciting towards the end. You had Martinsville, where we don't need to document that finish anymore. We've, we've gone over that enough. Um, you might not get that without it. And then you go back to this week with the racing we had. It, people can whine that it's created artificial excitement. It's still excitement, and I don't see where that's a bad thing. When has sports not been entertainment? You watch football games. You watch basketball games to be entertained. And the issue with, with NASCAR is it was not entertaining people enough through the middle of a race. And this playoff format with the stage points, with the point system, with eliminating guys is you're watching and you, you have to be there for the entire race or you're going to miss something because these guys are, are racing their tails off in these last 10 races. And I've, I've long argued with the playoffs too that you know, NASCAR has tried forever to, for lack of a better word, sportify itself. I know Sportify isn't actually a word. But Makes it is sense, now. though. But they've tried forever to say, hey, we're a sport. Um, you know, and people can argue about that. I don't have time for those people. But if NASCAR wants to really have justification, the argument that it's a sport, 
sometimes in sports, the best team or the best person doesn't win the championship because it's settled by a playoff, by playoffs. Um, we could go back through the history of sports and look at champions and say, well, I don't think they were the best team that year. I don't think they were the best team that year. It creates excitement. Isn't that artificial excitement as well? well and we'll get to this when we get to the, the full breakdown of the, the Cub race, but one of the interesting stats is really the best four statistically, statistically the best four drivers have made the championship for this season. We'll break all those statistics down a little bit later, but it, you, the best drivers are still getting to the championship four, but there's always kind of that wild card that gets there. And we, we saw that in maybe like a Ryan, Ryan Newman mm-hmm. before. Uh, but real quick, before we end our first hour of the left turning in a two-hour championship special this Thought week. Oh, we were done. No, we still got a long way to oh. go. We're, we're just, we're just, missed... we're, we're, we're at crossed flags here yeah, in a couple we're, minutes. We're at the end of stage one. I must have missed the memo. <laughs> but uh, with the new configuration of ISM Raceway, I think they did a fantastic job with it. I was a little skeptic and a little question questioning why move the start finish line off of turn two, where it. But I think it, it changed the the way restarts worked. It the the new renovations were great. The fans you get to, to sit in a corner. There's not a lot of stands where you get to sit in the corners. Uh, normally it's on the, the straightaways that the stands are, so it's a different view for the fans. But I think ISM did a great job of making Phoenix. Phoenix was already one of my more favorite tracks on the circuit, but really might have propelled it to possibly the favorite in terms of the way the racing works on track. Yeah, I think they, they hit that out of the park. I really, You touch up on everything I was going to say. It was fun racing. I love when guys drive to the bottom of any track just because it's entertaining. And one of these years, we're going to see somebody pull a massive slider down there. Um, so hopefully that happens. Hopefully it will indeed as we wrap up our one of the championship edition of the left turn. We'll take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to go over some off-season racing news and notes, some of the big moves that have happened in the last week, some big announcements when we get back to the left turn on X106. Welcome back to the left turn. Jacob Blair, Trevor Mater with you is just took a pit stop, got the crossed flags and we're now headed into our number two of our championship special and trevor we're now going to talk about some of the big announcements that occurred over the past week a lot of them took place around friday saturday at ism and the biggest one on nascar world is although we all kind of knew this already martin Truex jr and cole pern his crew chief they're headed to jgr that was confirmed over the weekend yeah, that had been the worst-kept secret in motorsports for, like, the last month. Um, when it was announced that Furniture Row Racing had folded, or was going to fold, it was pretty clear that Martin Truex Jr. was going to make the, the jump to, to Joe Gibbs Racing. Cole Pern had pretty much not even made an attempt to deny it. He was pretty straightforward with the fact they were headed to Joe Gibbs Racing. Martin Truex Jr., not so much himself. But, uh, yeah, they announced it was, it was Wednesday, right after the Kevin Harvick penalty was issued. I mean, within minutes of it, that, that announcement was made. And that Cole Pern-Martin Truex Jr. combination has been extremely successful within the series. They've been together for 142 races as of this point, 17 wins between the two of them, 54 top fives, 85 top tens. They've combined for 12 poles, and they led over 5,600 laps 
in that 78 car. So now that you're going to take him from the 78, you're going to send him to Joe Gibbs. That combination could become even more lethal. And I'm going to say right now, um, given that the combination of Canales and Jimmy Johnson is no longer, that's the best driver crew chief tandem in NASCAR. I don't think there's an argument against that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you could argue Kevin Harvick and Rowdy Childers. I think that, that's the one that you can make an argument for. That's the only other place I was going to go is just to bring those two up, but I still think it's Truex and Pern. That was the only in, that was the only real big off-season, silly-season type news within the Cup Series, but a whole bunch of stuff dropped for the Xfinity Series, and one of them, this occurred a while ago, but we didn't touch on it last week, but Tyler Reddick is going to leave Junior Motorsports, and he's going to join and replace Daniel Hemrick at RCR full-time next season. Yeah, that makes me wonder now, what's going to happen to that junior motorsports car? Um, you know, Noah Gregson has been announced that he will move up, replacing Elliott Sadler. They still got Michael Annette, who doesn't really do anything, but he always brings sponsorship, so he keeps a ride. And Justin Allgaier is confirmed Allgaier. to be back next season. So do they go down to three teams? Is that fourth car one that, that maybe is used to see? Because we saw Dale Earnhardt Jr. run one race at Richmond, is that fourth car going to kind of be what we've seen at a Joe Gibbs or a, mm-hmm. a, or a right. Penske where it's the kind of Chase Elliott, William Byron. Those guys run. And that's Alex almost Bowman. the way, bringing that up, I think that's the way that ride might go is it's going to be easier for them to get sponsors. And then what they'll do with that fourth car is come playoff time when the cup drivers can't run in it, it'll be someone that they're looking at putting in one of their cars in the future and, and giving like, some seat time. Potentially, who knows, a uh, John Hunter Nemechek, um, depending on what he ends up doing this year. That, that is actually one other option to go to Junior Motorsports is John Hunter Nemechek because another new piece of news that dropped is Ross Chastain earned a full-time ride with Ganassi next season as that was really cool information to hear as Chastain kind of earned that ride with his performance in the 42 car. But that leaves John Hunter Nemechek without really an Xfinity opportunity. And he's got some sponsors he can bring with him. And maybe that's someone that ends up in that fourth junior motorsports car. If I was a betting man, which I'm not, that would be what I would guess probably happens. Is that Ross, or not Ross Chastain, John Hunter Nemechek ends up in that nine car. Who knows what the car number, maybe it's the eight car. Maybe that's what it ends up being. Um, something like that, but he would be the guy to replace Tyler Reddick at, at Junior Motorsports. And that will have to wait as we see what happens. And sometimes a lot of times with, with what happens silly season-wise in the lower series is you have to wait to see what the current truck series drivers do, who moves up, who stays, see what truck rides open up, and there's a lot of movement within that that you're, you're sitting waiting. And now we're starting to see some of these Xfinity series announcements made. Another one of them we mentioned a little bit earlier Austin Sendrick will be full-time at Penske. It will be the 22 car that will have Austin Sendrick in it full-time. The 12 car will be the one that Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney run throughout the regular season for the Xfinity Series. But uh, it's an interesting way how the new rule, and this is, I think, we're starting to see the effect of this new rule that limits Cup Series drivers from performances is these Xfinity teams are saying, you know what, it's more beneficial to have someone run these cars full-time. Yeah, and I think right now um, Ross Chastain and Austin Sindrick might be the two favorites to win the championship next year. Um, You look at the speed Penske cars have shown and 
They and the Speed Cindric's shown as of late, finishing third at Texas, fourth at Phoenix. You got to throw Christopher Bell in there as well. And he'll Justin, be back in the twenty and car. Olgar, it's not confirmed be because I think Christopher Bell's waiting to see if anything materializes for him to jump to the Cup Series because he's made it known he thinks he's ready. But I think Gibbs has said no, you're going to sit another year in the Xfinity Series, and that's where we'll see Christopher Bell next season. As but I think those three would be the the drivers to to look at in terms of next year's championship. You know, and obviously the Xfinity Series next year, I think, could be a ton of fun because we just mentioned Chastain, who looked really good in, in that 42 car. Austin Sindrick, who's been running well lately. Allgaier and Chris Bell, who dominated most season. Still got a guy like Cole Custer. Maybe it's tough to say. You throw in Noah Gregson, who's going to put himself in position to win You're some races. Tyler Reddick, that's in that. Tyler Reddick. basically be in that 21 car, which we've seen have a lot of you speed. Know, who still knows what happens with John Hunter Nemechek. Um, if Justin Haley makes a jump up and takes in that GMS car, he's he put together some good races in that car earlier this year. And then you throw in some other guys that may or may not make some appearances as well, like Chase Briscoe. Um, this is going the Xfinity Series could be really, really fun in 2019. As we still wait on some of those announcements, one of the other ones is Jeffrey Earnhardt. He will drive nine races at Joe Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series. That was an interesting signing is, is I think he was able to bring some sponsor money to help get in that 18 car but Earnhardt Jeffrey Earnhardt has not been in great equipment and now he's going to have an opportunity to show if he's got any real skill behind the wheel yeah and we've seen before that guys get in a Gibbs car and it kind of propels their career Ryan Priest a perfect example and I I don't know that I like that that he's in this car um and I would like to see guys like like Kyle Benjamin, um, Riley Herbst, uh, Christian Eckes, even Todd Gillen going forward, get maybe some more of those because that's going to be the car that will be used a lot probably, I'm guessing, for the the uh, like a Kyle Busch to, to run some Xfinity Series races and yeah. Eric Jones. Th- those nine races, I don't think have been announced yet, but a lot of those will probably come in the playoffs. I would imagine when the Cup guys can't hop in those those cars. And then the one truck series news that was announced was that Sheldon Creed will be full-time at GMS next season, which with the movement they've had, that doesn't really give us any insight into what's going to happen with Justin Haley because there's been a lot of different drivers that have not started the season for GMS and have not finished the season for GMS being Cody Coughlin and Golden Dalton Sergeant. Sergeant, those two. But Sheldon Creed will be one to replace and you got guys, like we said in the truck series, that there's always these new faces that you're wondering where they're going to end up for next season. Why are they running trucks now? Maybe a guy like uh, Tyler Dipple will be another guy we'll see at GMS. Yeah, it's it's tough to say. Um, you know, you mentioned Tyler Dipple, Tyler Ancrum is a guy that's ran some races. Uh, Zane Smith is a guy still kind of working his way through the ranks that maybe could end up at GMS. So nothing set in stone yet um, for sure. But Sheldon Creed, we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago when he ran, I think it was a Martinsville race, and that Cody Coughlin entry that Coughlin had been running. We thought maybe that would be a guy that would run full-time at GMS, and then lo and behold, they announced earlier this week that he is. Another interesting is Timothy. Uh, interesting idea is Timothy Peters still sits out their truck series. Why is a really good truck series driver that lost his ride when Red Horse Racing folded and then was brought back for a couple races this year with GMS. Maybe GMS does something where they still run four trucks and they have two veterans and then two young guys running the series because 
we, we've seen them with Johnny Sauter, but then everyone else is brand new to the truck series. And I don't think if that's might not be the best option as we've seen some of the, you know, Justin Haley's worked out for them, but the other two trucks, they're really moving drivers in and out of those, those trucks and maybe to get another mainstay in there to help the younger guys, they roll through there. And this is a team that has aspirations of eventually competing at the top level in the cup series. So it, it's an interesting dynamic. If you throw in hypothetically, let's say next year, You've got Johnny Sauter, Timothy Peters, Sheldon Creed, and who knows? I think Justin Haley's moving up to that 23 car. Then you're setting yourself up where maybe eventually when you make that jump to cup, Justin Haley's the guy, and then it's kind of working your way back up the ladder. Well, the interesting thing GMS needs to, needs to think about right now is there's still that charter system within the cup series where there's 36 charters out there which guarantee you a spot. It's basically like a just this this thing that you're part of nascar and there's going to be some up for sale especially with the 78 car folding as their charter will be available to someone and you got to wonder if, if gms would be someone that's going to try to go ahead and purchase that and start their cup program well, and, and that was you, you don't want to and you don't want to wait and i know they don't i don't think they're they want to move up to cup yet they want to wait a couple of years get the xfinity program working more but if the, the charter comes up and you want to be able to grab a charter this might be a year that maybe gms buys the charter and then loans it off to another team in preparation to get a cup team going yeah i think that's probably the the most likely scenario i know we heard a couple of weeks ago that well, when it was announced that furniture racing was folding there was the rumor circulating out there that maybe gms would be the team to basically replace it so it's gonna be interesting i, I wish the silly season would wait in like another week or two because then we'd have a full show dedicated just to silly season instead of filling it in as it goes. But I guess them the breaks. The the I would like the same thing than everyone to like wait till the off season. So yeah, if you guys could just revolve your announcements for the rest of the future of your team around us, we would deeply appreciate it. I just I did I didn't want to wait. I don't think waiting to to talk about all these announcements weeks after they happen and just kind of mention them and that means we'll bring up one the the only piece of open wheel racing we're going to talk about on this entire show this this week is i think one of the biggest pieces of open wheel news we've had in a while and that is fernando alonso will run the indianapolis 500 and the big news with that is is fernando alonso is going to try again which is going to be really cool to be and yes i'm going to brag about this for a minute i get to be there i get to watch fernando alonso run but McLaren, the last time we saw him at the Indy 500, it was a McLaren Andretti entry. Andretti helped out with that entry. This time it's going to be a full effort from McLaren. It's going to be a whole new team, and there's rumors that they might bring a second car, which then in turn could propel McLaren to maybe go full-time in 2020 IndyCar, in the IndyCar series. So although this is just one piece of IndyCar news, it was a big one over the week. It was, and let's not forget, too, when... Fernando Alonso did run the Indy 500 in 2017. He had one of the best cars until the engine expired. He had a car that was more than capable of winning the race but couldn't get it done. So I think maybe he still feels kind of hungry, feels like he had an opportunity to, to win that he let slip away. And uh, that, is, that is big news indeed from the IndyCar world. As the other piece of news is, we mentioned this briefly last week, but Jimmy Johnson and Fernando Alonso will be doing a car swap where Jimmy will step in a Formula One car, Fernando will step into a NASCAR, and that will take place in Bahrain the week after the Formula One finale at Abu Dhabi. 
that'll be after both seasons are over, but just a little piece of news. And the, the difference between what they're doing with this is it's a little bit interesting is with Lewis Hamilton and Tony Stewart, when they did this a while back, it was more of a publicity stunt. It was they, they did this, Mobile One was there, they were both sponsored by them at that point. This with Jimmy and Alonzo feels more like a true, they just want to test each other's cars and they're going to go have real test sessions when they get to Bahrain. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I want to see, I'm more excited, I think, to see Jimmy Johnson in a Formula One car than I am anything, just because. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool, and I'm excited for that as well. So that will wrap up our silly season talk here on the left turn, and we'll take another quick break. And when we get back, it's time to start making picks. You make me nervous. We're going to talk about the championship races coming up at Homestead. We'll start with the truck series, but it's time to put our, our money, our, our theoretical money, on who, we're, who we think is going to take the win and the championship this upcoming weekend. You're listening to the left turn on X106. Welcome back to the left turn. Jacob Blair, Trevor Mater with you. It's our championship edition of the left turn. It is now time to start making our picks for Homestead. We're going to start with the truck series. It's going to be the Ford Ego Boost 200. It'll be on Fox Sports 1. Coverage starts at 7 p.m. It'll be 134 laps. Your four drivers are Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, Brett Moffitt, and Johnny Sauter. We'll start talking about Johnny Sauter. He'll come in as the number one seed. His season so far, he's got six wins, 14 top fives, 17 top tens. He's got one pull. He's led 585 laps with an average finish of 6.1 so far this season. Look at his playoff statistics. He's got one win, three top fives, four top tens. He's led 187 laps with an average finish of 8.2. As Johnny Sauter, I think right now he's got to be one of the favorites for the Truck Series. And he's a veteran. He's won a championship before. He's the only one of these four guys that have won a championship in the Truck Series doing it in 2016. Uh, he's made more starts at Homestead combined than any of than these three guys have combined. And he has a pretty good average finish at it as well. So I think Johnny Sauter is probably the odds-on favorite going in. Johnny Sauter at Homestead. He's made 11 truck series starts at Homestead. He's got one win. He's got four top fives, eight top tens. He's led 64 total laps at Homestead with an average finish of 10th. So it'll be a tough thing to deal with the experience from him. Coming in at the second seed will be Brett Moffitt. He's got five wins on the season, 12 top fives, 12 top tens. So the interesting thing about that statistic is if he's Outside of the top five, he's generally outside of the top ten. He's led 210 laps this season with an average finish of 9.3. During the course of the playoffs, Brett Moffitt, he has one win. He's got four top fives, four top tens. He's led 37 laps, and he's got an average finish of 6.2. Yeah, he's, and the interesting part is he's never made a truck series start at Homestead. He has made a, a couple of the Cup Series starts, I believe, and maybe even an Xfinity Series start. But he's never ran at the truck series. This has really been the first we've heard of Brett Moffitt in a truck. And like we talked about, he every race he's won this year, he's kind of done it in a closer-type fashion late in the race. So he's a guy that I, I think, you know, we picked him at the beginning of the playoffs. I don't know if that's going to be who we pick or not. But I think he's a guy that's got a legit chance, too. All four of these guys are have a legit chance, though. So. And then when you look at coming in at the number three seed, it'll be Justin Haley. He's got three wins, nine top five, 17 top tens. He's led 60 laps for the season. 
with an average finish of ninth. And then playoff-wise, two of those three wins have come in the playoffs. He's got four top fives, five top tens. He's led 37 laps in the playoff playoffs with an average finish of 7.2. So playoff-wise, he's been the second-best driver in terms of consistency. If it wasn't for his engine failure at Phoenix, he probably would have been the, the best statistic driver during the playoffs in that 24 car. Yeah, won the race at Bowmanville when Gregson and Gillen took each other out. Also won at Texas a couple weeks ago, and then had a second-place car at Talladega. So he has been super consistent and quietly consistent at that going into Homestead this week. And then you, you talk about consistency when with Justin Haley. No, Gregson has not had that consistency as he will come in as the fourth seed. He's got one win on the season, seven top fives, 16 top tens, six Poles. So he qualifies really well. 591 laps led with an average finish of 8.7. But again, a consistency issue with him is he's led a lot of laps but only has one win to show for it. In the playoffs, hasn't picked up a win. He has gotten two poles, one top five, four top tens. He's led 116 laps in the playoffs. And of your playoff drivers, he has the worst average finish heading into Homestead. Yeah, Noah Gregson, normally their wins are Rex trying. Um, there really hasn't been any in between. There's not a lot of races where it's like, man, Noah Gregson just had a really solid, consistent day and finished fifth, like a guy like a Brett Moffat might. It's either, man, Noah Gregson dominated the race and won, or, man, Noah Gregson had a winning race car and crashed. So that's the concern for me when I look at him going into Homestead is this is a team that has found trouble at times this year. Is it going to be something in a one-race scenario, you can't afford to have trouble. You've got to be consistent throughout the whole race that maybe trouble finds them this weekend. Like we said, the Johnny Sauter, he's got 11 starts at Homestead. Brett Moffat hasn't made a start. Justin Haley, he's got one start. And then Noah Gragson, he, he's made a couple starts as well in just trying to get some seat time before this season. But, but no one other than Justin Haley has really put together a great run. Haley finished ninth last season at Homestead. But if you're one of those three drivers, the, maybe the advantage goes to Justin Haley out of those three because they can go talk to he can talk to Johnny Sauter because their teammate Sauter can let Haley in know on how the, the weekend works, how stressful everything is, and then also help him a little bit with, with what goes on at Homestead. Yeah, and we, we know those cars or those trucks are going to show up and they're going to be fast. Um, the GMS cars have been, those two car trucks have been fast most of the year, um, or consistently at least. And Johnny Sauter knows what he's getting into. Noah Gregson has had a fast truck all year. It's just whether or not he can be consistent. And then the interesting one to me is Brett Moffat because this is a single truck team. When you look at the other ones, Sauter and Haley are teammates. Noah Gregson, there's a a lot of cars in that K or trucks in that KBM stable. Grant, this is going to be the one that gets the most attention this week, but Brett Moffat's team has nothing to lose. This is their season. They're working away right now, I'm sure, to get that truck ready to go. They're going to be aggressive, and they're playing with house money, at least how I feel about it. And again, this will be the first race of the weekend, so the trucks will be the first new champion we will crown, and it'll either be Johnny Sauter, Brett Moffat, Justin Haley, or Noah Gregson. The interesting thing about this race is it really is the only true night race of the three. It'll start during the night. It'll end during the night. The other two will be day races that with the the way the 
sunset time is it'll be almost dark by the time those races occur so there'll be a lot of track change with the truck series race it's all at night so it's a little bit different it's a short race it's only 134 laps so these guys are going to have to get this done early yeah it's the truck race the truck race is always super exciting at homestead and as i mentioned earlier you don't have to technically win the race to win the championship whichever one of these drivers finishes the best of those four even if that's 23rd that guy will be the champion in the last two years since nascar adopted this format for the truck series the winner of the race was not the champion johnny Sauter won the championship two years ago despite not winning the race i think he finished second but he didn't win the race he, he only won the championship after william byron won the race and then last year chris rebel didn't win the race he put together a good night and was able to hold off his challengers for the championship. So who knows? It could be the second-place guy that ends up winning. We will have to see on Friday. Again, it will be on Fox Sports 1 at 7 p.m., 134 laps. Now it's time, Trevor, for us to make our picks. Johnny Sauter, Brett Moffitt, Justin Haley, Noah Gragson, who do you think takes home the Truck Series Championship for 2018? I'm sticking with my... My playoff pick, um, I'm from Iowa, he's from Iowa, and they're, like I said, being a one-car team, they're going to throw the house at things this week. They're playing with house money. They got nothing to lose. This is their season. This could could really be what defines this team going forward when you look at Shigiki Atori Racing. So I'm going with Brett Moffitt. I think Brett Moffitt gets it done and, and caps off a storybook season with a championship that'll do wonders for his career. I'm going to unfortunately agree with Trevor. Which means he's not I'm also going to take Brett Moffitt to win the Truck Series Championship. He he's someone that he puts himself in positions to win races. He may not have the fastest truck, but he's always got a really good truck and he puts himself in position to win races. I think that's where he'll be at Homestead. I don't think you'll I don't think you'll hear a whole lot from Brett Moffitt in stage 1 and stage 2. You'll hear a lot from him in stage three, and he'll take home the Truck Series champion. I think the winner of this race will be one of the playoff four drivers. I think that will be something that occurs this weekend. One other thing we want to point out is the stages. They will still occur. There will be no points given out during the course of the stage, so the champion only comes from the finish of the race. Yeah, and so it and it used to be when they had lap leader points, those didn't matter either. It's It's legit. Whoever finishes the best. I mean, if all four of these guys junk each other on lap one, you're going to see the greatest battle for 27th in the history of battles for 27th, and that's what it would come down to. So it's going to be exciting. I hope we don't agree the rest of the way. I'm pretty sure we don't, but maybe we do. As again, Trevor has taken Brett Moffitt to win the 2018 Camping World Truck Series Championship. The final Camping World Truck Series Championship is next year. It will take on a new name as the Gander Outdoor Truck Series Championship. But I will also be taking Brett Moffitt to pick up the 2018 Truck Series Champion. And we'll go ahead and take another quick break here on the left turn. When we get back, we'll make our picks for the Xfinity Series Champion. You're listening to the left turn on X106. Welcome back to the left turn. Jacob Blair, Trevor Major with you as we're winding down our two-hour championship special as we're now going to talk about the final four in the Xfinity series. It'll be the Ford EcoBoost 300. It'll be on NBC and the NBC Sports Network. 
at 2.30 p.m. Saturday. It'll be 200 laps. Your four drivers are Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, Daniel Hemrick, and Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell does come in as the number one overall seed after barely sneaking into the championship floor after a clutch performance to pick up the win at ISM over the weekend. In a must-win situation, he locked himself in. Course of the season, Christopher Bell has put together some of the best statistics we've ever seen from a rookie in the Xfinity Series. He's got seven wins, 18 top fives, 20 top tens, five poles. He's led 750 laps with an average finish of 11.1 during the course of the playoffs. He's picked up three wins, two poles, three top fives, three top tens. He said led 311 laps with an average finish of 12.8. That average is skewed because if he's not winning, he's been wrecking in the playoffs. So I think we'll see one or the other from Christopher Bell this Saturday. He had a almost perfect round of 12. The round of eight was not so good for him, to say the least. Um, considering two of the three races, he wrecked on lap one. Not the, not, not the ideal way for a, a round to go, but then he came through clutch at Phoenix and picked up the win. This is a kid that's had the fastest car all, since about June on. Has been the guy, him and Allgaier had been the guys to beat. Allgaier not here, Christopher Bell is. He is the odds-on favorite, I think. If you wanted to bet money on this, Christopher Bell, I think, would be the guy that you would feel the most confident in. And he did make one start at Homestead last season in the Xfinity Series, finished 36th in that one, so not a lot to go off of for Christopher Bell. One question this weekend is not regarding these four guys, but will the Xfinity Series get through lap one? We've had three races in a row where there's been a caution on lap one. Do they make it back to the start-finish line when this race goes green? I hope not. That's all I'm going to say is I hope not because, like I said, you know, it's same as the trucks. The best finishing guy of all of these ends up winning the championship. If all four of them junk each other, then it's going to be a great race for 30th. And also in this one, it's worth noting that the Xfinity Series last year, the winner of the race did not win the championship. I can't remember if Daniel Suarez won the race two years ago. I think he did. I'd have to go back and look. But uh, it's going to be exciting on Saturday for sure. And coming in at the number two seed, and this is based on how many playoff points these guys had is where these guys were seeded. And the interesting thing about Daniel Hemrick is he doesn't have a win on the season but accumulated more playoff points than the other two drivers in the championship four, which do have playoff points in the season. That's how good Daniel Hemrick has been without being able to get a win. He's got 15 top tens, 22, or 15 top fives, 22 top tens, Picked up four poles. He's led 440 laps. He has an average finish of 9.1 over the course of the season. During the playoffs, he's picked up two poles, three top fives. He's been perfect thus far. Has finished top 10 in every single playoff race. He's led 233 laps and has an average finish of 5.7 in the playoffs. Looking at statistic-wise, Daniel Hemrick, he's had the most consistent playoffs out of anyone in the championship four. And regardless of speed, that's going to put him in a place where he's going to have a chance to win this race Daniel Hemrick the last two years has not won a race and has been in the championship for both years that is crazy he's also the only one of these guys that has been in the championship for um, Bell Custer Reddick all all weren't it. Bell was in the truck series I guess so to say but Daniel Hemrick has been so consistent hasn't been able to win a race we've joked that maybe he's cursed maybe he's just never going to win a race I think it would it would do wonders to his career if he could put the cherry on top 
and win not only the race, but the title. Wouldn't it be a great time to pick up your first ever Xfinity Series win when it means you clinch a championship with it? I, I think if he was to do that, he would no longer care about all the almost wins he's had. The one I think thing it'd be worth it. For Daniel Hemrick, his last season was in the championship four. That did not go well. He finished 34th. Not of his doing, he had a mechanical failure last year that cost him a, a chance at winning the championship. But Daniel Hemrick does come in as this number two seed. Cole Custer will come in as the number three seed. He's got one win on the season, 13 top fives, 25 top tens. He's picked up five poles. He's led 294 laps with an average finish of 9.2. While in the playoffs, he, that was where his one win came. He won at Texas to lock himself into the championship four. He's got two top fives, four top tens, 54 laps led with an average finish of 9.8. The big storyline with Cole Custer is he has made two starts at Homestead, but last year he picked up a win and he led 182 laps in doing so. Absolutely dominated last year at Homestead. And if you're anyone else, that has to worry you coming into this weekend. Yeah, Cole Custer's been quietly consistent all year, and you go back to last year, and that was that domination was completely out of right field. That team really hadn't shown much last year to to think that was going to happen, and then you're watching the race and you're going, where in the world did this come from? So, you know, we said Chris is a favorite. I lied. Maybe Cole Custer's a favorite when you look at what that team did last year at Homestead. And then coming in at the number four seed, it will be Tyler Reddick. He's got one win, six top fives, 19 top tens. He's led 140 laps this season with an average finish of 13.2. During the course of the playoffs, he's picked up two top fives, five top tens. He's led 56 laps with an average finish of 7.2. He has made one start at Homestead. He started there last season, picked up the pole, led the other 18 laps in the race that weren't led by Cole Custer finished fourth last year at Homestead. So Tyler Reddick does have some experience there. But of the four drivers, statistically, he is the worst coming into this weekend. So he's going to have a lot of work to do if he wants to challenge these other three. And his lone win of the season came back in the first race at Daytona. Uh, Reddick's the one guy I did not expect to be here. I thought it would probably be Justin Allgaier Elliott Sadler in his place. And he was able to edge out his teammates for that final spot um, big race for him he'll make the jump to rcr next year and i i think he ran well there last year i think he has a legitimate shot i think all four of these guys it would not surprise me either way if it's chris rebel daniel hemmer cole huster or tyler reddick to win at miami and when we talk about this one this race is gonna the, the track will be a little bit different than what we see in the trucks it'll start during the day so immediately you're gonna see cars right up against the wall and that can pose some issues for guys is at any point in time, one of these four can step over the, the theoretical cushion that sits up at the top of the racetrack and get into the wall and make it a difficult day for the rest of the day. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get yourself in a bad situation when you're racing for a championship because uh, if some, sometimes you get caught up in other people's messes. We saw the Chase Elliott last week in Phoenix. Um, we saw, we've seen it happen in years past. The last thing you want to do is is get caught up in something that isn't your doing that thwarts your championship opportunity. As it will get exciting on Saturday, well now comes the point of this segment where Trevor, you need to make your pick for the 2018 Xfinity Series champion. Will be Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, Daniel Hemrick, or Christopher Bell? So again, I, I made this pick actually at the start of the playoffs. He's still in it. Has a win under his belt now, and he absolutely dominated last time they went to Homestead. 
I'm going with Cole Custer. I think this is a team that they, they're probably feeling pretty good considering the whooping they put on the field last year. Stuart Haas, it's a single-car Xfinity team. So they're going to, again, they're going to go all out on this. And I think Cole Custer wins the race and the championship and maybe in his last Xfinity Series race. And I'm going to go with someone that will be running their last Xfinity Series race in Daniel Hemrick. I think Hemrick will pick up the 2018 Xfinity Series championship. I think he'll do so winning the race. I think Hemrick will finally pick up that win. I also picked Hemrick to win the championship. To be the, I didn't pick Hemrick to win the championship. I both, I think we both said, you know, Christopher Bell or Justin Allgaier. But then the other guy we mentioned, you mentioned Cole Custer. I talked about Daniel Hemrick. Hemrick is still here. I think consistency at some point will pay off. It pays off this weekend for Daniel Hemrick. I think he he's behind Cole Custer and Christopher Bell for most of the day, and then late in the race, he finally just being there will walk himself into a win and become the 2018 Xfinity champion. Wouldn't it mean a lot for him if he can finish what's been kind of a wild two years for him? And, you know, we've joked, is he ever going to win a race? We're not the only people that have done that. Wouldn't it mean a lot to him, though, to be able to not only kind of exercise some demons but do it with a nice championship trophy? Well, he's called this this playoff run and really this whole season his redemption tour. I didn't really understand why he was calling that. I know he made the playoffs last year and had the issue at Homestead and didn't win the championship and has come back this year. But he last year, he didn't really, to me, seem like someone that should have won the championship. This year, he's been much more of a championship contender. Although he hasn't won a race, he's been there almost every single week. And it's it's going to be interesting. I Unfortunately for Tyler Reddick, I think this is a three-car race for the championship. I don't think we'll be talking about that nine-car a whole lot this weekend. But between Christopher Bell, Daniel Hemrick, Cole Custer... All race long, I think at some point, one of these three drivers will dominate a stage of the race. They'll switch out, and then at the end of the race, they'll all come together and have an absolute duel for the championship with about 20 to go. I'm not counting Tyler Reddick out. This team has been really consistent as of late. Put themselves in a situation to win at Texas. Um, had a great battle with Cole Custer and came up just short. I think it could be a four-car duel. I, I just I don't think Tyler Reddick's car. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about... Reddick as a driver, but just his car will not have the speed to get up there and challenge the other three. I think he'll be the fourth fastest car of the four all weekend long. That being said, as you mentioned, anything can happen, and he, he can put himself in a position to win, but outright speed, he won't be there. Well, I hope you're wrong. Wouldn't that make you happy? Yes, you, you like it. You like it when I'm wrong. Yes, which... I like it when other people are wrong which when we get to uh, the Cup Series picks, we will go over who we picked at the start of the playoffs and we'll realize I was terribly, terribly wrong. But the Xfinity Series will come to a close again on Saturday. It'll be at 2.30 p.m. on the NBC Sports Network. It's 200 laps, the Ford EcoBoost 300. It'll come to a close, and as always with these lower series, you'll watch the last races full-time of some of these drivers in these cars before they, they head in other directions. Yeah, I mean, you know, we mentioned Daniel Hemrick with Cole Custer. It's, who knows, uh, Christopher Bell, who knows. Ryan Priest will Ryan be heading Priest. to the 47 car yeah, in the so Cup Series next year. Those are just a couple guys to name. A Reddick will make the transition to RCR. Um, so it'll be interesting. Last year we saw William Byron and Elliott Sadler put on a great battle. For the win, uh, Ryan Priest had a little bit to do with that, helping William Byron win it. But I think it's going to be a great battle on Saturday, and it's going to be a ton of fun. 
We will take one more break here on our championship edition of the left turn. When we get back, we'll make the picks for the... Welcome back to the left turn. Jacob Blair, Trevor Mater with you. It's a little bit of a production issues there, but we're back. Got to tell me we're going on air. It's more fun when I don't. Yeah. Well, make I you guess. Didn't say anything. Didn't say anything I shouldn't, so that's a plus. I, I, gave, I gave you a, a, like a 10-second warning, and then... Yeah. Um, it's a Monday. It's a good Monday. It's a great Monday. We're talking about Homestead. We're talking about the Cup Series. It's time to preview the Ford EcoBoost 400. It'll be on NBC at 1.30 p.m. It'll lead right into Sunday Night Football. So it's a great place for NASCAR to put the race. It's 267 my, laps. My only beef with this, and we ran into this a little bit last week, is hypothetically if there's a scenario where there's a, a red flag or something, or with it being Florida, there's always a possibility of rain. My beef is that there's a chance that the post-race coverage gets booted to NBC Sports Network. That's my fear. Hope it doesn't happen. I don't know. Who, I can't remember who the Sunday night game is off the top of my head. Um, but I hope that I don't have to change the channel because then I got to find the remote, and I always lose the remote. And by, then by, the I gotta, of, by the end of the race, that'll the, the remote will be so far gone, it'll take you like seven minutes it'll, to find it. I, it'll have been like four hours since I changed the channel, and I won't I won't remember where it's at, and I'll forget what channel NBCSN is. And so NASCAR, if you're listening again, if you could just alter your programming to where it benefits me, I would deeply appreciate it. I don't really care about the Vikings and the Bears, so I don't mind if I don't get to watch it or Football Night in America. So please don't do that. Anyways. The question is, is if it goes into football night in America, how long do they take post-race on NBC to push that back? That is the question. I think they would say, hey, this is the Vikings and Bears. Nobody really cares. This is NASCAR. A few more people care. Let's do that. Or maybe that's just me being selfish. I think it's you just being selfish, but I'm going to be selfish too and say the same thing. Yeah. So NBC, if you're listening, which I know you're not, um, please don't move the post-race coverage to NBCSN. Not that there's anything wrong with NBCSN. Great network. They do a great job. But again, I don't want to dig for the remote and try to remember what channel NBCSN is. Did you have some stats you want to break down? Well, we're going to get there, yeah. Okay. I mean, we probably should talk about who's actually in the championship four. Yeah. That being said, your number one overall seed heading into the championship four will be Kevin Harvick. He has eight wins on the season. Give him seven and a half because one of those was... It's more like seven because he also yeah. had one taken away earlier this year. So it'd be so. more like six. Yeah. So he's got eight. He's going to be credited with eight wins. Six of those really should have six counted. Six of them were legal. Six, six legal wins, two other wins. They still count in the record book. He's got 22 top fives, 28 top tens, four poles. He's led 1,932 laps this season with a season average ninth place finish during the playoffs. He does have that, well, the one win that, counted in terms of the record books but not to get him to the championship four two poles three top five six top tens he's led 712 laps during the course of the playoffs he's got an average finish of 12.4 so kevin harvick has been really fast but we've seen issues from him on pit road cost him a lot of places a lot of points during the course of not only the season, but the playoffs, and that could be his issue at Homestead. And with a different crew chief this week, no Rodney Childers, it's still being Tony Gibson. Now, everything, with the exception of a flat tire that was totally out of their control, went smooth last week. But you think back to Dover, 
had that race in the bag, won it until they got it was I think it was a valve stem issue on the tire. They had to come back in. Kansas again looked like he might have had that race won. He was too fast on the final pit stop. That's a that's a legitimate concern for Kevin Harvick that his team has put him put themselves in situations this year that cost them races. Now, when you look at the stats at Homestead, he is statistically the best driver at this track, and it's his best track in terms of average finish, averaging just under a finish of seventh place, but only one win, that coming in 2014 when he won the championship as well. So he's been consistent there, nine top fives, but only one win. And I think whoever – I think I, – think whoever wins the championship wins the race this weekend and we've seen that be the, that that's been the, the way the cup series goes is the four cars in the championship just throw everything they've got at it and bring four cars that are just better than everyone else and no one in the cup series that's not in the championship four really is there to, to contend with them but like you said if you're one of the other three you like being in the championship four, but with Kevin Harvick's statistics at Homestead, although he's only got that one win, you know he's going to be there with an opportunity to win the race, and that's a little bit scary for everyone else. So here's just a really hypothetical. Going back to what, way back to the people that were listening at the beginning of the show, if, if you're still out there, one, thank you. You guys are troopers. But two, if in the event there's another scenario, let's, not, let's say it's not Kevin Harvick, any of these four drivers where NASCAR takes him to R&D and they're issued with an L1 penalty at the end of the race. What happens then? I, I don't know if anyone I, knows I what personally think that one of two things happens. One, I think it just gets swept under the rug and there's no L1 penalty issued, which would really be a credibility problem for NASCAR. Or two, I think they would say, okay, we're going to take so many points away, and then by taking away the points, it would award the championship to the next finish. I think so. I've also read stuff, and I've, I've never been to the championship race home, so I would love to go. Um, and one of these years, hopefully it happens. But I've read that pretty much those four cars are under lock and key from the time they get to the track until the time the race is over. So I don't know. But I think it's just something to think about going into Homestead. It's, it's a question because if you're NASCAR – the one thing you don't want is your champion failing post-race technical inspection, and wouldn't you have be, to give it to someone be a good else. Look. But if you're NASCAR, and that's the case, that's something you have to do because you're better off. It, and, and, and we've seen Kevin Harvick multiple times this season has failed post-race technical inspection. We've seen it from Gibbs cars in the past. We've seen it from the 78 car in the past. It kept Joe Lagana out of the playoffs last year. Kept, we, we've seen this before, so that's the, not to say we won't see something at the back end of Homestead that could cause a problem for one of these drivers. If you're NASCAR, you have to make the call to take that championship away and give it to the guy that was legal. And, would, and, that, and that's where the other situation is if you're going to do that, all four cars that finish, all four championship four cars, head to the R&D Center after it's over. And I think that's, I'm guessing that's protocol. Um, regardless where they finish, I would assume that it I is. I would hope so. I would hope so, too. And I'm guessing these cars are kept under lock and key from the time they get to the track until the race Sunday. I don't know. But I think it's just something that, given what's happened the last couple of weeks, you legitimately have to think about. I think it would actually be really funny if a guy wins the championship and then gets disqualified disqualified or gets the championship taken away because his car's illegal. I think that would add credibility to NASCAR for them to do that 
I think it would be a bad situation, but it'd be a situation where you look at it and go, okay, they're enforcing the rules. This is the way it's going to be. Coming in to Homestead, the second seed will be Kyle Busch. He's got eight wins, 21 top fives, 27 top tens. So 27 of the 35 races, he's been inside the top ten. Four poles, he's led 1,448 laps with an average finish of 8.4 during the course of the season. During the course of the playoffs, he's got two wins, two poles, four top fives, six top tens. He's led 332 laps with an average finish of 10.9. So Kyle Busch, another driver that has... You know, had a really good playoffs. The one thing for Kyle Busch is at Homestead, he's not been that great. In 13 starts, he's got one win, three top fives, six top tens. He has led 322 laps, but has only put together an average finish of 18.5. And the only two tracks he's statistically worse at are Daytona and Talladega, which is not a surprise. Right, but when you look at, and I guess I'm playing devil's advocate here, defending Kyle Busch, when you look at the last, he's... The last three years, he's been a part of his championship form. That's elevated his game. And that's put him, those have been his best runs at Homestead. He finished second last year. Can't remember where he finished in 2016. I don't remember if it was second or third. He finished somewhere up there. And then he won it in 2015 to win the championship. So it has, in a way, it's elevated his game. Um, He finished sixth in in 2016. But it's elevated his game. It's made that team hungry. This is a one-race scenario. So I think you almost got throw average finish out the window for him because he's ran so well with a lot on the line. Coming in as the number three seed will be Martin Truex Jr. He's got four wins on the season, 19 top fives, 20 top tens, four pulls, 996 laps led, and he's got an average finish of 11th. During the course of the playoffs, though, he struggled just a little bit. He only has three top fives, four top tens. He's led 194 laps with an average finish of 9.9. If you're Martin Truex Jr., you're not really up front battling for a lot of wins throughout this entire playoff format. And the two times he was, he got taken out. Um, so I don't know that I would want to be in front of Martin Truex Jr. if the championship's on the line. Definitely not if you're one person that we'll get to here in a moment. But I I think with Truex, they're the, I think they're the underdog in this one. Um, with that being said, I think they – you want to talk about a team that literally has nothing to lose. This is a team that's shutting down at the end of the year um, – the, this is it for Furniture Row Motorsports, or Furniture Row Racing, I guess I should say. This is it for them. They've 20, when Martin Truex Jr. crosses the start-finish line on lap 267, that team is gone. They will no longer exist. So they've got nothing to lose. They're playing with house money. They're going to do everything they can to put themselves in a situation to win and make it back-to-back championships and really what would be Almost a Cinderella ending, I guess. It would be for Martin Truex Jr., but at the fourth seed, you're going to have Joey Logano, who's got two wins, 12 top fives, 25 top tens, one pull. He's led 854 laps during the course of the season with an average finish of 10.9. During the course of the playoffs, he's picked up one win, one pull, four top fives, seven top tens. He's led 509 laps, so over half of his laps led have come in the last nine races with an average finish of ninth. So if you're Joey Logano, you're hitting your stride at the right time. Yeah, which is what championship teams and championship people do. You, you play – Jimmy Johnson won probably five of his seven championships by doing that, by getting hot at the right time and getting the championship. Joey Logano had a three-year span where he probably 
had a better shot winning the championship than he did this year. 2014, had one of the faster cars at Homestead all race long. Final pit stop, they end up in a situation where Crewman drops the jack. It negates any chance they have. 2015, sweeps around a 12, gets the round of eight. His old friend Matt Kenseth, not too appreciative of the way he raced him at Kansas. Nothing to race for for Matt. Takes him out. 2016, down with Carl Edwards late in the race. Him and Edwards get into a wreck. Logano's able to salvage a second-place finish but comes up short to Jimmy Johnson. So Joey Logano still trying to get that first championship. He's the only guy of these four that has not won a championship. And I think he's hungry. He, and he's shown, he showed at Martinsville with Martin Truex Jr. that he is not afraid to do what it takes to win a championship. And talking about the Logano-Martin Truex Jr. incident is, is you clearly and made it 100% obvious you wanted Martin Truex Jr. to not make the championship for. He's now made the championship for. But how do you think that the, the way these two have acted, especially with Martinsville and, and Martin Truex Jr., the way these two race each other at Homestead, or do you think that's, that's, that Martinsville issues fizzled out and we won't have to worry about anything between those two? I think look, Martin Truex Jr. making the championship for actually helps Joey Logano because now Martin is racing for the same thing Joey is. With that being said, I'm going to take a wild guess and say if those two are running first and second or third and fourth on a restart with less than 50 laps to go, Martin Truex Jr. is going to remember what happened to Martinsville. And he's not, he's not going to race him as clean as he did. He's, he's not going to give him any wiggle room. He's not going to budge. He's not going to give him the same break that he might have at Martinsville. But at the same time, he's not going to, I think, be headhunting for him. Unless there's a situation where Martin Truex Jr. struggles and knows he's got no chance to win the championship, I think Martin Truex Jr. making the championship for is the best thing that could happen for Joey Logano. Do you think Eric Almarola will play a part in this? Because we know he was unhappy with Joey Logano after Texas. I'm going to say no because I think it's been two weeks. Really, it was one of those things that I think Eric hopefully would have calmed down and realized I was just being a baby, hence he was our baby of the week. So I'm going to say no. It wasn't really that big of a deal. It wasn't like Joey took him out or anything. It was just racing that Eric didn't like. So I'm going to say no to that, hopefully. I agree with that assumption. I don't think we'll see Eric Almarola do anything. I, I, think, don't know I think he would have gone back and watched the video and realized that he overreacted. I don't know really how the speed. That, that either is we again we've seen the top four have have all these things and I don't think we'll see much between Martin Truex Jr. and Joey Logano I think there's been enough time and it wasn't this as big it wasn't like what happened between Matt Kenseth and Joey Logano Truex still well, finished third in Martinsville That's and they what, both have bigger fish to fry I think the thing I think where there would have been a problem is if Martin Truex Jr. would have not made the championship his mindset would have been if I'm not winning the championship neither is he well Martin Truex Jr. has the same shot that Joey Logano does. So I, I think I think we'll see him race each other hard if it comes down to it. Truex isn't going to budge, but I'm I'm with you. I don't I don't see anything payback wise coming, which just kind of makes me sad. The interesting thing about these four drivers is statistically through the course of a season, these might be the the best four drivers to make the championship four of that season. As all four rank inside the top four in laps led and average finish. So they're you're basically your four best cars during the course of the season. They've made the championship four. The only driver that messes up everything in terms of wins was Chase Elliott, who got three. Joey Logano sits. Keselowski had three, three as, well. as well. So other than that, Joey, win-wise, that kind of bumps Joey Logano down. But consistency, average finish, these are your four best drivers. So now we get to the point. 
Trevor, who wins the 2018 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Championship? First off, who were our championship picks at the start of the playoffs? Yeah, I picked Eric Jones. I picked Kyle Larson. So, well, um, we, we both made picks because we didn't want to pick a championship or a big three driver, but all three of them made it. Who's your champion based on the four guys that are here? I still don't want to pick a big three driver, and I'm not. I'm going with Joey Logano. When you look at this season, so what's Joey Logano since he joined Penske in 2013? 2013, kind of an up and down year. They only won one race. 2014, five races, one championship, four comes up short. 2015, six races, one. Matt Kenseth takes it into his own hands. Logano doesn't win the championship. 2016, three races, one comes up short. I think Joey Logano looking for that first championship. This has been a year that wins championships. He's been consistent. He hasn't been the guy all year like Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr. have been. But he's been right there just kind of lurking. And I think those three will come close. But I think Joey Logano will be able to get the win at Homestead, a track that he's ran pretty well at for the most part, and get the win in the championship. In this one, I think that we will see the problem with Kevin Harvick not having Rodney Childers. I think Martin Truex Jr. won't quite have the speed. I think Kyle Busch will be as as I think as you should much shut your mic it, off. As much as it hurts me to pick this, I think Kyle Busch wins your championship this season. He's got the most momentum heading in to the championship race as he wins at Phoenix. I think that bodes well for him, and he ends up picking up his second championship, his first champ, and can kind of quiet all the critics about his 2015 championship when he when he got hurt, came back and won. And Kyle Busch wins the 2018 championship. So again, Trevor Mater, he picks Joey Logano. Me, Jacob Blair, I pick Kyle Busch. Again, that race will be the Ford Eco Boost 400 on NBC at 1:30. It'll be 267 laps. This has been the championship edition of The Left Turn. Thank you for tuning in. We will be back next Monday from 2 to 3 to break down everything that happened from Homestead. Thank you for tuning in. This has been The Left Turn on X106.